Super Talk Mississippi media production. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is Jamie Creel with Shelter Insurance. Come see how we've built a name that you can trust and why it is a must to get your free quote today with our Switch and Save. Located in Ridgeland and Florida, Mississippi, give us a call, 601-992-6000. Howdy, howdy. It's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to Midday Super Talk Mississippi. I'm your host Gerard Gibbert along with Will East in for the vacationing rhino. It is a Monday. We'll be guiding you through the middle of your day with facts, fodder, and fine music. Kicking it off here, Will. Yes, sir. And uh, uh, there's a little drizzle outside, which for uh, people in the central Mississippi area are not accustomed to seeing. Strange material. Yes, falling from the sky. What is this? <laughs> I don't know, but uh, we'll take it. We need more of it, honestly. Need a lot more of it. Uh, the Mississippi River, like the song says, the river is down. Interest rates are up. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, That's what we got. Hank Williams Jr. song. Man, man, bad deal. Well, speaking of bad deals, see football across college football in the state of Mississippi well, it wasn't exactly stellar, shall we say. No. We had worse, though. There was a week, I think it was in 2019, yeah. where every major college in Mississippi lost every game. I don't think we had we were that, that bad this week, but uh, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, and Southern all lost. Uh, Ole Miss goes on the road and just throws it away, basically. Uh, yeah. Just couldn't capitalize, and then... Mississippi State had a chance there at the end. Will Rogers really came alive. Had over 400 yards passing in that game, but just not enough on the road. Winning on the road in the SEC is tough. Tough to deal. With. And then uh, Southern Miss loses to Arkansas State. Yeah, tough deal. We got uh, Lucian Smith coming on on the program at 11.05, former chairman of the Mississippi Republican Party. Of course, the big news, I guess, within the state, coming on the heels of the governor's announcement Thursday that the existing Medicaid program would be expanded with respect to reimbursement rates. That is a proposal being made by the state of Mississippi to the Centers for Medicaid and Medicare, Center for Medicaid and Medicare. That's the federal agency that oversees those programs. And so we're taking a proposal to them to increase reimbursement rates both in the fee-for-service part of the program, as well as the as well as the managed care option (MCO), managed care organization, is what that stands for. Um, that does most of the Medicaid administration, a third party in the state of Mississippi. So, coming on the heels of that is an announcement 
by the governor's office that he will, in fact, debate Democrat candidate Brandon Presley as we approach the general election here in November. Not a whole lot of details surrounding that announcement at this point. I think um, Brandon Presley has challenged the governor to five <laughs> debates. What are you going to talk about in five debates? Five debates? Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah, I mean, so, but <laughs> that's a true story. I don't know what to think about. Well, you beat me in the first one. Let's do another one. Let's exactly. Do another one. Let's do another one. I, I'm not really sure what to think about. This uh, this announcement, uh, I don't I don't know if you can read too much into this. You know, you the conventional wisdom says when you're an incumbent, you don't accept debates. You don't debate a challenger. Certainly in a primary, I get I get it in a, a general election uh, because I think honestly this will give the two candidates an opportunity to contrast their policy positions, their vision, their philosophy. Honestly, I think this will help the governor. This is my opinion. Um, But let's be honest, uh, Brandon Presley, I I would describe him as a Democrat populist. That's the way he would describe himself. He says he calls himself. When he's been on the program before as the public service commissioner representing uh, that body in that capacity here on the program. We haven't talked about uh, any campaigns or political races because none were in place. None none were were active. And any time I'd ask him, well, I, what are your plans? He, he always kind of buttoned up about it. And then when he announced, you recall that he declined our offer to come on the program at the Neshoba County Fair. Like, within 24 hours before his scheduled appointment time on the program, his office contacted uh, our content director and said, we're not going to do it. And and it was on some premise, some guys that, well, we just don't want to do one-on-one interviews. I don't know exactly what that means. Uh, but nonetheless, when he's been on the program, he has described himself as an FDR populist. I mean, specifically, explicitly used that language. I've heard him say, I'm a Billy McCoy okay. populist. There you times. go. All right. So, uh, so you'll have, I think, I wouldn't exactly describe the governor, let me say this first, as a populist in his style. I would say Phil Bryant was more of a populist in his style. I think the governor is um, a little bit more sanguine and and more methodical. I think that's just his sort of finance background. There's his um, is when he approaches issues, seems to be more thoughtful and less reactive and and more more guided and and guarded. Whereas Brandon Presley is, again, as a populist, it's just, man, the fiery rhetoric comes out. So it would be a contrast in styles you would see immediately, I believe. But I would also say do not underestimate, even though I wouldn't call Governor Reeves a populist, do not underestimate his ability to respond and um, and rebut 
effectively any assertions and statements that uh, Brandon Presley would make. And and I would just say this, based on the rhetoric, the campaign style of Brandon Presley to date, which to me is consisted mostly of attacking Tate Reeves. Would you tend to agree with that? Yes. Most of his campaign materials, his press releases, his videos, his interviews, uh, anything in social media, but mainly the press releases from his campaign, which are fairly regular, almost daily. Typically, those involve, from a content perspective, attacks on Tate Reeves. About 80%, maybe 90% that, and 20 to 10%, here's kind of what I'm going to do. And at, at this point, the governor has really shied away from just directly responding, most for the most part, to all these crazy assertions that are made by Brandon Presley. But he'll be faced with that in a debate. you got to believe that, because that's just been Brandon Presley's style, and it would be hard to imagine him diverting from that style on the stage in a debate setting. And the, the governor will be, he'll be loaded up with responses to that. I have no doubt. And then when they start getting into the policy matters, uh, do not underestimate the governor's ability to to react and uh, rebut, maybe even refute much of what Brandon Presley says. So it'll be interesting. We'll see the contrast in styles and, and vision and philosophy in this respect. You know the um, announcement last week by the governor with respect to uh, Medicaid, which is not is not explicit expansion of Medicaid under the expansion program, which was introduced into law in the Affordable Care Act, also known as Obamacare. This is really just increasing a plan that we are going to submit the state of Mississippi to the federal government to increase reimbursements to to healthcare providers of Medicaid patients in the existing Medicaid program. That is expected to net the hospitals, what, just under $700 million, I believe, latest data I saw, not just hospitals, but the entire healthcare community, which provides services, it's mainly hospitals, to um, these coverage groups. But, uh, of course, you've seen Brandon Presley just... Uh, Respond to that in a very critical way of the governor, and but has said, "Hey, I'm going to expand Medicaid day one when I'm in office." Except that can't do that. You can't do that, right? It ignores the fact that you're not a dictator. You don't have that power to do so. But I, unfortunately, a lot of people that see that sort of stuff, voters that support that, believe he can. Which is not true. We're coming right back with more in the Element Well studio. Lucian Smith joins us at 11.05. It's Monday. That means Ricky Matthews with Super Talk Outdoors at 12.05. Stay with us. Now back to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi.
We are back in the Element Wealth Studio. Are you thinking about or planning for retirement? Do you have a plan? Go to myelementwealth.com or call 601-957-6006 to let Element Wealth help you find your balance between income, growth, and guarantees. So we got um, – this mic seems a little hot here. think so. We got uh, – yeah. You just got a booming voice today, Gerard. I you guess got so. So much stuff <laughs> pouring out. You know, it always. You're right in this. Then that the weekend just seems to pile up yeah. on you, doesn't it? I, in terms of the news cycle, it's crazy. In, in this age of social media, I mean, I'm old enough to remember, you know, kind of before social media, and yeah. I remember Mondays were usually pretty difficult because you had sports, yes, yeah. and you might have some celebrity news, but. You know, the big news was just breaking that day, so you know you still had to compile it all. You didn't have all, all day Sunday or Saturday to kind of think about it and ruminate on it. You didn't have all that because everything would happen Monday morning. Yeah. Nowadays, it's 24-7. It You're never right. stops. You're exactly right. And for those of us who at least attempt to keep up with all that so we can inform, uh, I mean, it's it, it's overwhelming. Honestly, the weekend especially, and a lot of that's because you got the big Sunday shows, and uh, across the network spectrum, in lots of political figures, of course, are on those shows, and and they say a lot of stuff that that is yeah. worth talking about. We got uh, so besides the the governor saying, yeah, we're we're up for some debates here. We got uh, eight Republicans who will be on stage for a GOP debate Wednesday, coming up. Yeah, right. right. Coming up this uh, this Wednesday. The uh, Of course, the former president, Donald Trump, will not be on the stage. He will not be there. But it uh, looks like it's, it's setting up to be an interesting affair once again. I think this is a... Uh, going to be hosted by Fox Business, Stuart Varney, who's one of my favorites over there on the Business Channel, is going to be, he may be the only moderator. Is there a couple of them, I think? But that's coming up, and it, it is scheduled for uh, the Reagan Library in California. That, it, does that seem just a bit, I think it's cool, but almost a bit um, ironic that the that the Republicans are debating in one of the bluest states in the country, Absolutely. that California, but it is is totally appropriate uh, for that to be held uh, certainly at the Reagan Library. I mean that's completely appropriate. I think that's pretty cool. And there's a third debate scheduled for is this right November the eighth? Yeah, I think so in Miami. That'll be cool. Third yeah. debate scheduled well, for Miami. That's DeSantis' home turf, so yeah. that's kind of interesting. But the the you said there's going to be eight people on stage? I thought there's going to be eight. It was seven, and I think Burgum, if I'm not mistaken, check that out, just qualified. Doug okay. Burgum, the uh, governor of North Dakota, I believe he just recently qualified. So that's that's what it looks like at this point. I thought it was seven originally, and then he gets in. He jumps in. All right, this is from Reuters, and okay. this was uh, 
a few hours ago, and okay. they say, uh, well, I just had it. The six candidates likely to be on stage are Florida Governor Ron DeSantis, former Vice President Mike Pence, yep. former U.N. Ambassador and South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, Tim Scott will be there, Ramaswamy will be there, and will be there Governor, former New Jersey Governor Chris Christie. Yep. So that leaves out Burnham. Burgum. Burgum. Yep. Don't even know his name. Yep. Uh, Asa Hutchinson. Asa Hutchinson's not not going to be there. He was on stage last time. There's only two? I think Burgum qualified is the news I thought I caught, um, which expands the field. But we'll we'll check that out. Uh, I, th- I think he qualified. Of course, he, he wasn't the last one as well. He, he didn't get much time, of course, but uh, because they kind of ask the questions and, and target the questions based on, based on those who were polling the highest. Yeah, NBC News says that he appears to qualify okay, for second I, debate. That's what I thought. So, I don't know what appears to. Yeah, <laughs> I guess it's it hasn't been uh, f- confirmed, you know, yeah. officially at this point. But Go ahead and book your ticket there, Doug, and yeah. uh, we'll see what happens. Now, the third debate requires that a candidate has 4% of the vote in polls and 70,000 unique donors, um, and that's going to be a tough deal for for some of them. That's the November 8th debate, so the, the field will thin somewhat yeah. between now and then. Uh, but back here at home, uh, wow, this is pretty interesting, is it not, to have – uh, our sitting governor, Tate Reeves, agreeing to debate Brandon Presley, the Democrat candidate for governor. And, of course, that election right around the corner here. So when he ran against Hood, they had, I believe, two debates. Yeah, sounds right. Had one that was kind of more traditional style, stand up at the podium. And then they had one that was a little bit different. It was with WCBI in Columbus. Yeah. And it was more of a sit-down type debate. Yeah. A little bit different. I think Andrea... I'm trying to remember who moderated that for WCBI, but it, it was a little bit different style. I remember it was kind of weird, uh, but I think it, I think both debates were pretty good. Yeah, uh, we've had some bad ones. Uh, yep, in the past. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I like I like it when the candidates debate. I, there's no doubt about it. It brings something to it. I, it's what frustrates me about Trump so much: the fact that he's not debating. Yeah. I would agree. And with I understand you. the reasoning behind him not debating, but at the same time, you know. Yeah. He'd take all the air out of the room, though, if he were present. I, I know. It, it kind of, there's pros and cons to it for the other candidates. Um, he would definitely dominate. It would all be about him if he was in the debate. And there were, obviously, the last debate, there were questions about him um, with him not even being there. No doubt. Uh, but this ought to be fascinating. By the way, there's a great article by our news team uh, about the debates between Reeves and Presley. Uh, that was uh, authored by Caleb Sailors, published on the 22nd. So that uh, and it's good. And it's got a couple of quotes in it as well. Uh, I'll read one here for you from Governor Reeves. Quote, I won't back down from a debate because, oh, the, oh pardon me. This is Presley, Presley, Presley. Unlike Tate Reeves, I am not afraid to face the people of Mississippi. Well, 
What do you mean? Come on, Brandon. The guy's the governor. He faces them every day. Presley said at that time, citizens are owed debates from candidates for governor, and I'll debate anywhere, anytime. Tate Reeves has been caught red-handed in the largest welfare scandal in state history, and he doesn't want to answer for his role in it. So, so like I said, that's that's kind of his M.O., is just con- to continue to hammer the governor on that issue. There's zero evidence of that, and even no proof, of course, to this uh, point. But... Uh, Governor Reeves said that he's actually eager to defend his record against Presley, whom he considers to be a dishonest politician. Quote, I'll be honest with you, I look forward to getting on the stage with that individual who seems to have a really hard time telling the truth. It doesn't matter the topic. He has an easy time lying about it. So the fiery rhetoric is being exchanged already, and I think you could expect that in a debate. But I'm hopeful that we'll press on and and discuss the critical issues facing our state and hear from the candidates as to their uh, their approach to addressing those issues. I think that's what people want to know and really don't want to hear so much about, uh, well, you did this and you did that and all that kind of stuff. That's especially things that are just not not factual at this point, not proven for which there's no evidence. Meanwhile, up there in uh, the capital, the U.S. capital, what about old crazy Bob Menendez? Man. <laughs> that broke Friday. After uh, the show, I think. Yeah. If you haven't heard, you know, this, Senator Menendez from New Jersey has been embroiled in several big controversies. He was indicted, what, about four or five years ago yeah. uh, and was basically um, – acquitted because the jury couldn't reach a verdict and one juror in that, that jury pool asked what is a senator this is the level that you're dealing with okay those are the people that acquitted him right and now they raid his home they find a hundred thousand dollars worth of gold bars uh four hundred and some odd thousand dollars in cold hard cash uh Luxury cars, you know, just the whole... From the Egyptian government and some New Jersey business people as well. And it all has to go back to meat. Right, exactly. Yeah, it's like... Exactly. Well, what about the the cash money in his coat pockets? Yeah, yeah. And his coat pockets had his name on them too. So it's like unbelievable. He's a card carrying crook, is what he is. He ought to be convicted of uh, very serious crimes. We're coming right back in the Element Well Studio. Listening to Middays with Gerard, Gerard Gibbert, here on Super Talk, Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone, to the great Jerry Rafferty, Baker Street, 
Did you tell us a story about that? That that's like the story of his life. That's the story of huh? his life after Steeler's wheel fell apart, uh, which we just played before, uh, in the break before. Yeah, uh, he went down to Baker Street and he was drinking himself to death. And th- this whole song is about his time. It's amazing. Amazing. The video is pretty cool too. Yeah, one of the first big videos, really. Yeah, that's right. Sure mm-hmm. was. The uh, the sacks, unbelievable, of course. Absolutely, it's unbelievable. We are back though in the Element Well Studio. We're talking about uh, Governor Tate Reeves agreeing to debate Democrat candidate Brandon Presley on the ceasefire text line. Let's see, Jimmy from Enid says. You have a serious pro, uh, serious question. Why are there so many people that seem to be against Tate Reeves and think he failed Mississippi? It's a good question, Jimmy. I, you know, full disclosure, you guys know I I know the governor uh, pretty well, and and uh, was pleased to uh, host a fundraiser at my house for him back in June. It was well attended, raised a bunch of money, and not going to apologize for that. That's what you do fundraisers for: raise money for candidates. And have had a number of private conversations with with the governor. I, I would say that we probably are aligned on ninety nine percent, honestly, policy issues. But when you think about when somebody says he failed, I mean, what does that mean? So I, the, the question that comes to mind then to me, Will, is what what, what is your standard for pass fail? And you know, there's no consensus on that. Everybody has sort of a different. I guess, set of issues, it's fair to say. And uh, some people are very much single issue. I mean, it's like, like all they care about is where you stand on this. The only thing I've ever heard, I guess, uh, Jimmy from Enid, who sent this text to us, is there's some discontent over the flag change. I've heard that come up probably more than any other issues as a negative for the governor, that they feel like, uh, he he went back on his commitment during the campaign in 19 to allow the state of Mississippi, the people, to make that call, but but rather that was done uh, through the legislature. And then it, it did go to the ballot, but as you guys know, there was no option to retain the, the old flag. Honestly, I wish we'd move forward from that, is my view. I don't think that, that uh, that's worth dwelling on, and we have so many issues as a state as a nation that uh, I believe we should focus on. I think the governor is focused on that. The one thing I agree with the governor on wholeheartedly is his understanding, his belief that the way to address our most pressing issues in in our state and, frankly, in our nation is to boost our economy. It just all comes down to money. A lot of people may not like to hear that. And, And when you say that, when I say that, keep in mind that freedom is essential to economic growth. So the two are... Are, are connected. They are uh, they are inextricably linked, honestly. And so, because I know a lot of people dwell and focus on things that they, they're concerned about from um, policy, from the perspective of policy imposing on their rights and freedoms. I agree. I'm simply saying that without those freedoms, you can't have a thriving economy. That's essential uh, to it as well. So I think the governor does believe that that is the way to improve the quality of life here in the Mississippi, in the state of Mississippi. And I, I want to point out something, too. Yeah. When Governor Reeves took over, January of 2020, okay, the world was quite different in 2020. 
if you'll remember, the first thing that happened in Mississippi was floods. Yeah. Massive historic floods. Yep. Right after that, COVID hit. Yeah. And I remember a tweet that he put out about, you know, there was a story about killer bees heading this way. And he's like, how much more can we take? <laughs> you know? And on top of that, we've had devastating tornadoes, thunderstorms. We've had lots All of, that stuff. of natural catastrophes. That's right. Tornado, that, we had actually had the tornadoes. That was Easter. Right. Then COVID, you know, right. obviously took over after that. So it was like one thing after another. Right. And, and then, here, But here we are. And something, honestly, the state government... Uh, nor the governor should have to deal with is the Jackson water crisis was was a big issue that he ended up having to deal with because of the way our laws are structured, the obligations on the part of the Department of Health, which is under his purview. So lots of thorny issues that uh, he has had to deal with. That, that, But, you know, so I don't know, Jimmy, I guess back to your question. That's the only thing, the only knock I guess I've seen more than any. There are some people that believe, though I believe they are in the minority, that his handling of, of COVID maybe was a little too strict with the shutdowns and so forth. And it seems like you remember, Will, during that period in, in 2020, every other day we were dealing with an order or maybe a or a repeal of an order. Uh, it was it was every it was day press conferences at yep two thirty. Yep. I mean, I remember them. And and some people feel like he he went too far on that. Yeah. Um, but you know, at the time you didn't know. Didn't though. know most of what I've heard. Honestly, just anecdotally, is people were pretty pleased with the way he handled it. He, he I I know him well enough to know it pained him to have to do that sort of stuff. I mean, he and he was surrounded by and advised by lots of people, and he questioned them. But it pained him to have to say, "Yeah, we got to shut something yeah. down." For but, example, but we we went back to school a lot earlier than we a did. lot of states. If you'll remember, I remember the people dressing up as dead children and laying out there that we're going right. to die because yeah. of all the because we're going back to school. Yeah, that's right. Uh, so that's all. That's about all I can come up with there, Jimmy. Uh, but it's a good question, and appreciate that. Sharon and Brandon says, Gerard, Brandon Presley is afraid to have a one-on-one with you. You are ten times smarter than he. Well, I appreciate that, Sharon. I I, I don't really know, Will, honestly, why he wouldn't come on. And, and folks that listen to this program know that uh, I would not take that opportunity to attack him. That's just not we, my style. You had on every other Democratic candidate. Uh, you had on uh, Greta Kemp Martin, who's running for attorney general. You had on uh, Schwaski Young, who at the time was running for Secretary of State, yep. right? Yeah. Uh, several others. Uh, had ag commissioners. Had a couple of those that that yeah. uh, running for ag commissioner. Um, so, I, you know, honestly, I think he missed out, is what I said, by not coming on the show. Even though he and I don't agree, I would ask questions. He would respond. He would get to, to uh, tell the state a lot of people who tune into this show every day. Get to tell them how he feels about things and how he would serve as governor, what how how things would be under his uh, his administration. But he missed out on that opportunity, in my view, to come on a statewide show and and uh, address the state in that regard. So we're going to keep trying, though. We'll see if we can get him on. I'd I'd love to talk to him. I I would love to moderate a debate. I'm still offering my services in that regard. We we do that right here in the studio. Maybe I'm overstepping the my authority here at the network, but if, let's put it this way. If management would agree to it, 
because they had the final say, not me. Uh, but if they would agree to, to host and allow them to come in here and talk to us at the same time, I'd certainly be honored and privileged to moderate that discussion. I think it'd be good. But it uh, remains to be seen where these uh, debates are going to be, and, and I don't think I've seen a specific schedule uh, at this point, but that would be fun. I think to watch those two candidates. They got to hurry up and get them done. I mean, we're almost in October. Yeah, no doubt about it. September has flown by. Yep. Um, Mo says, I can remember when Monday was the day you discovered everything in the White House's Friday night news dump. Good point, Mo. That's true. Gerard, when do you think the others will drop out of the race talking about the presidential race? They have no chance. Trump's numbers will only grow. They'll start dropping out when um, the primaries are held and and the money dries up. That's usually what causes it. But for right now, they're, they're going to keep debating and exposing and campaigning and raising money to just build their name ID and their brand. But, yeah, it'll get to a point where you'll have a couple of primaries and, they, and um, they'll get – if they get defeated in um, in accordance with or in alignment with the present polling numbers, yeah, you'll start seeing them drop out, mainly because they'll run out of money. Their yeah. supporters will just they'll, say, they'll we're not going to. They'll put their gonna... campaigns on hold, and then the next big thing the shoot drop will be them endorsing other candidates. That's when it really starts to turn, That's in right. my opinion, uh, when you, they start to endorse the other candidates. That's right. Maybe Brandon will sing us a little blue suede shoes, says Gary from Tishomingo. Someone told me over the weekend about an indictment against Presley that came out around July and then dropped after he announced. Any info on that? I don't. I haven't heard a word about that. Don't know anything about it. But when we come back, the um, you know the hypocrisy that exists in the political domain uh, really is disconcerting in my view. We were talking about Senator Bob Menendez who incredibly, in a defiant way, says he's going to run for Senate again. Uh, But then we got something to share with you about AOC. You know, she's a big supporter of the United Auto Workers, the union workers who are protesting for a whole bunch of improvements in their contract with the automakers. But I saw an article, an op-ed written in Newsweek about character of politicians. We'll get into that when we return. Stay with us. You're listening to Middays with Gerard here on Super Talk Mississippi. We are back in the Element Well studio, a little Def Leppard. Bumping us into this segment here. Speaking of the governor, tomorrow the governor is hosting Riley Gaines at the River Hills Club, by the way, in Jackson. I'm uh, scheduled to attend. That is a breakfast event. Gets kicked off at uh, 8 o'clock and then 8.30, I think 8 o'clock, depending on your contribution level to the event. Looking forward to that, seeing Riley. You know, she was on the program here when she buzzed through Mississippi a few months ago. And, wow, little did we know, Will, at the time, the extent to which she would rise to fame in this country. Well, I think she's spreading a message that a lot of people agree with. No doubt. 
Of course, she is detested, loathed by those on the left who just think that she's out of touch and and uh, not standing up for the, the rights of transgenders and all that sort of stuff. By the way, speaking of, before I get to this political hypocrisy, Missouri High School has uh, crowned a transgender woman. That would be a male who claims to now have transitioned to a female. Uh, their homecoming queen, 17 years old, looking at the photos of... Uh, Homecoming queen at Oak Park High School in Kansas City, Missouri. Landon Patterson, a transgender who took the title in 2015 but then transitioned afterwards. That's kind of weird. This is Tristan Young, was voted the homecoming queen. So, you know the crazy thing about this is it's only because it's a transgender. I mean, the only reason school did this is... They're, they're just looking for the attention, because this is in the Daily Mail, which is a pretty popular uh, media source, media outlet from the U.K. And this this is the first place I saw it reported, just happened over the weekend, uh, Friday at the football game. Her victory marks the second time at this high school. They seem to have a penchant for voting for transgender people. <laughs> Uh, a lot of people are upset about it, understandably so. Uh, and I'm, I'm looking at Tristan. Uh, just doesn't exactly fit my vision of what a homecoming queen should look like. I'm sorry, don't mean to sound as that misogynistic or transphobic. Probably all the above, right? <laughs> but what happened to that sort of standard? It's just out the window now, I guess. Uh, it's- Long gone. All right, so Menendez, who always uh, likes to rail on Republicans for their corruption, he's he's caught with gold bars and Mercedes Benzes and money in his coat pockets. I mean, it's it's pretty clear the evidence here because there's physical evidence. That's the difference. It's not like Hunter Biden's laptop where we're relying on digital evidence, which still to me is sufficient to convict him. This is physical evidence. I mean, the gold bars, the cash money on his person, gold in his house. Gold bars that have Bank of Switzerland, you know. <laughs> Crazy. <on> so <laughs> you got that. All right. Well, we're talking about Brandon Presley. You may have seen the candidate for governor in Mississippi. A photo of him. This is his own social media. Wheels up is the caption. And it's a photo of Brandon Presley and his wife, and they're in clearly a private jet, private plane. But yet, that doesn't look like the common person from Nettleton, does it, that always talks about how poor he was and that sort of stuff? But yet he's riding on a private jet. Now, this is probably one that was made available to him by supporters, meaning he's taking money. I know you find this shocking from rich people that have access to private jets. And, of course, he's been all over the governor for using the private plane for campaign purposes and private reasons. He's decried the governor in in his use of the state's private plane. But yet that's what he's doing here. Now, let me be clear. I don't care about people using private jets. I care about people who lambast others who do and then do it themselves. That's That's what I don't, I can't accept, is that just the double standard hypocrisy. 
And I think the average person says, well, well, wow, you're criticizing other people for using private jet transportation, but yet you, you yourself do. That doesn't make any sense. So I have an issue with that. AOC is yet another. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, she was talking about her support for the United Auto Workers strike. And, of course, she's all behind the union. Yet... She drove her Tesla to the studio, which is not made by union labor. And she tried to defend that. Something about vaccines and the pandemic and how she used it to travel from New York. to It made zero sense, honestly. It's like the vaccines are the reason you're in a vehicle that wasn't manufactured by union labor. Yet you're all in for the union. What she ought to do is go trade that thing immediately and buy a union-made vehicle if she's going to tout herself as being such a pro-union advocate. I just have enormous problem with the double standard hypocrisy on that crap. We're stepping aside for a break right now. It's time for Fox News and Super Talk News. When we return, it's Lucian Smith, former chairman of the Mississippi GOP. Welcome to the show that challenges you to think deeply deeply. and look beyond political posturing. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone it is middays we are live in the element well studio today kicking off a brand new week here and we welcome to the program lucian smith former chairman of the mississippi republican party also a regular fill-in host on the gallo show on this show from uh, time to time good to see you again lucian how you doing man doing well gerard how you doing i'm doing great i was just talking about a new vehicle i got over the weekend and uh i, I got a new escalade by the way this is my sixth escalate really i really like them the great looking cars yeah they are and um so it's my sixth well the the technology that has now been installed in these vehicles i had a 20 in 1920 1920 2020 <laughs> model <laughs> uh and and so a short three years later the uh, unbelievable amount of new tech that is in these vehicles is incredible this one does have what's called super cruise which I think GM is is installing in in many of their high end models, and you can tell this is just a precursor to autonomous uh, vehicles. But most people are familiar with the uh, uh, the improvements and the enhancements in cruise controls over the last few years, where if you just kind of have your hands lightly on the wheel, uh, it'll sort of drive it for you and right. keep you in the lane. This is total hands off, but it has a little camera. In, on the steering column that's watching your eyes 
It's monitoring your eyes. It still wants you to be paying attention. And here's why I realized. I was on 49. And I, I said, I'm going to experiment. And I turned it on. It will change lanes, slow down, speed up, to keep the speed constant that you set on the cruise. So it says, you're behind a slow person, just like you would do manually. I'm going to change lanes, if I can, safely, change lanes to keep the speed constant, and then get back over the other lane without touching it. All, all done. That's amazing. Hands off. But... Um, I, I got this this uh, audible message says, grab the wheel, take control. And the reason is I looked at the screen and had a message that said that, that uh, information was insufficient for the system to work. So parts, it seems huh. like, I guess, parts of 49 have whatever's needed for that system to work, to function, and other parts don't. And, and you can see a time where we'll get to where it'll be ubiquitous and pervasive across the country. And that's just, like I said, a precursor to autonomous vehicles. I actually have the opinion, it's just an opinion, that by 2035, it'll be illegal for humans to drive vehicles. That's interesting. I mean, I think by 2035, they're all going to have the capacity to completely yeah. drive themselves. I agree yeah. with you. It's amazing how close they've gotten. Very, very close. you got truck fleets already. Amazon's experimenting with that and so forth. But digressing a little bit, I'm still learning all the technology. That's like got to go to school on YouTube uh, to learn about all the functions <laughs> and features. There's so much stuff in these deals. We got lots of stuff going on in the uh, political world for it's sure. A, it's a busy year. Yes, at the state and the national level. We were talking before you came on about uh, Governor Tate Reeves agreeing to debate Democrat candidate for governor Brandon Presley. Uh, as we approach the the general election. And uh, were you surprised that the governor agreed to do that? Not really. I mean, I, I think when you're when you have a a, a serious candidate, um, you, you essentially have to debate them. Uh, governor Reeves did it four years ago with Jim Hood. Yeah. Um, there's certainly a school of thought that you ought not debate because you help increase their name ID. Uh, but I think it would have brought. I think I think he would have gotten criticism um, that some people would have thought was fair that he was hiding if he didn't debate Brandon. But but I think the debate is good. Uh, for Governor Reeves, because whenever a race is about policy, it goes to the Republicans' advantage. I mean, yeah. the Democrats prefer for races to be about uh, personality and narrative. And when a race turns out to be about personality, when it turns out to be about uh, narrative, that tends to not be great for Republicans. When it's about policy, the overwhelming proportion of, uh, I think, people all across the country, but certainly in Mississippi, they want the policy uh, and the sort of policies that Tate Reeves is going to be supportive of. They don't want the sort of policies that the Democratic Party supports. And so debates are a great opportunity to really have a conversation about policy. And so, the, you know, I think uh, Governor Reeves' team is doing a good job on the messaging front of framing this up for voters just that way. I mean, do you want to have more control of the money you receive? Do you want to have more of it stay in your wallet? Do you want to have the choice on where your children get to go to school? Uh, do you want your children to get indoctrinated that they're 56 different genders and they can pop from one to one whenever they want? You know, if that's the question Mississippi voters face when they go to the polls, they're going to vote for Governor Reeves and he's going he's going to be successful getting reelected. So I think these debates make a lot of sense uh, for him to participate in because it lets him keep framing this up as a policy race, and that that's a race he wins. Uh, I think you're right. I, I sort of see this thing unfolding where where Brandon Presley tends to uh, attempt, at least, to hijack the debate to make it 
more about the person and corruption. And I'm just saying that because if you think about it, in my view, Lucian, all of his messaging to date, that's what it's been. That's right. It's been Tate Reeves is corrupt. you got to vote for me. He's got to go. Uh, but if Tate can successfully, and I believe he will, uh, turn the conversation and the attention to policy, th- that's his wheelhouse. That's where he'll shine. Absolutely. I mean, he that's a guy who can talk about uh, especially the data, the numbers uh, of policy easily. I mean, he doesn't have to sit there and pour over briefing documents and try to memorize numbers. That's the way his brain works. So. Yeah. Yeah, I think he'll be well prepared for it. I think you're right. I think uh, Commissioner Presley is going to try to make it all about uh, the TANF scandal and, and, and sort of a broad corruption narrative. But I think Governor Reeves has a good answer to that. I mean, he, he was not in charge of DHS when that stuff happened. Yeah. Uh, period paragraph. And I think he'll be able to pivot back to core policy issues that are that are both his wheelhouse and that are to his political advantage. Yeah, I think you're right. He's blasting the governor for use of the state plane. I was just sharing this with the audience before you came on. Uh, there's a report uh, with a, a a screenshot of Commissioner Presley uh, that features he and his, his new wife in a private plane. And he says, wheels up is uh, his statement. And this has been caught by some national press as well. And, you know, I don't care if he uses a private plane. That's, that's just not uh, related to me. I don't really care about that. But, you know, don't be blasting somebody and then doing it yourself. I don't care if it's the state or somebody else's. And then coming out with this narrative, well, I'm just a poor guy from Nettleton, that kind of stuff. Then you're on a $20,000 an hour uh, private plane. Well, that's the thing. Nobody likes to highlight private plane use in political campaigns. But let me tell you, every single serious candidate who's running statewide in Mississippi is using private planes. Because if you've got to give a speech in DeSoto County at 1 o'clock and you've got to give a speech in Harrison County at 4 o'clock, you cannot drive quickly enough to get from South Haven to Gulfport in four hours. At least I can't manage to pull that right. off. There may be some people out there who can. You're going to have to use a plane, and they're all they're all using them because it's it's necessary practically to run a modern campaign to to be in in private in a private aircraft. No doubt about it. And I think uh, more to your point, you can't accept those engagements. I like that. If you don't have Absolutely. Now, I'll say they're not always glamorous. When when I ran statewide in 2011, it was my first time ever being on a private plane. It had been donated by a supporter, and it was exactly that scenario. I think I was in DeSoto County and then had to be on the coast in a time frame where you had to use a plane. But, you know, the only only private planes I'd ever seen were on television. So, you know, I was thinking I was going to show up, and the stewardess was going to help me up into the plane, and there might be a lunch service. And I remember getting into it and texting my campaign manager and saying, can you please get me a nice obit? Because I was basically in a crop duster. I mean, yeah, I was hunched over the whole time. But he got me there. I gave a good speech, and it worked out. Yeah. Well, uh, I had a Piper Saratoga, which was uh, which was about twenty years old, I think, when I bought it. And it's it's one of those assets you have when you fly to something like Fulton County or Charlie Brown or Arlington, and over in which are in Atlanta area, private aviation, and then over in Arlington. It's like the only $150,000 asset you have that you feel like a nickel weight for change when you land at those airports, because the rest of them are multi-million dollar jets. I, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, You're pretty proud. Hey, I got a, my old airplane, hundred fifty grand. That's $5 million next to you, though. So. Right. On the low end on some of those. Exactly. Well, uh, so that ought to be interesting. Let's, uh, let's talk about the governor's announcement uh, Thursday of uh, some changes in the Medicaid program, which would increase the reimbursement 
under existing the existing coverage groups that uh, Mississippi participates in. We got a break right here. We'll get to that on the other side. But that was uh, That's quite uh, the announcement. It, yeah. Yeah, so we'll talk about that when we come back. We got Lucian Smith, former chairman of the Mississippi Republican Party. Stay with us. With Gerard Gibbert. Let's do this. On Super Talk Mississippi. Let's do it. The Eagles bumping into this this segment. I saw this morning, Will, where my favorite journey has announced their 2024 Freedom Tour. That's what they're calling Freedom Tour. And you know where they're going? Gulf Coast. Really? I don't think they've uh, been, I don't think they have toured here. I don't think they've performed in Mississippi that I'm aware of. Maybe I missed one of those, but I've always gone. A lot of big acts. Yeah, I've always gone to New Orleans or, or Vegas, but yeah. Coming to the Gulf Coast had, in fe- February. Had Guns N' Roses, obviously. I saw uh, that. Recently, yeah. we have Hardy and Laney uh, yeah. coming up soon. And then um, got some other big acts coming on. You know, Taylor Swift, maybe. Right. I don't know. Really? That would be huge. That of would course. be huge. She's like her. the hugest. <laughs> we are uh, chatting with Lucian Smith, former chair of the Mississippi Republican Party, just talking about the political landscape. So... We were chatting offline about the governor's announcement with respect to, to Medicaid, and, and this is really just a plan that would increase reimbursement in the two major uh, uh, functional areas of Medicaid. <clears throat> Some of that is run by what are called managed care organizations. I think most of our Medicaid is a third party right. we contract with for those services. And, and, and the other is what's called the fee-for-service model, which essentially is kind of what the average private, uh, privately insured person is accustomed to. That's right. You you see your your explanation of benefits document, which shows all the various services you got, what the provider charged, what your insurance is paying, and then what your responsibility is if there is any. That's kind of typically, and that's an itemized statement, so to speak. That's sort of a fee for service model, where they and the insurer have worked out. Uh, price points for each service provided. The managed care organization is a little different financial structure. It uses what's called uh, capitation uh, and uh, for the benefit of our audience, which is just, we're going to give you so much per enrollee 
It's your job to figure out essentially how to make that work economically, right. financially. And and so what we are requesting, the governor's requesting, what the state's requesting from the Division of Medicaid is an increase in the capitation rate, the amount that we can uh, pay to the MCO, and then the, also the fee-for-services model as well. Let me read this to you, because I, I scratched my head when I saw the governor announce this. Like, well, there's no new federal program. W- what is it we're doing here And uh, in order to, to increase these reimbursement rates? This is what... The Center for Medicaid and Medicare, Medicare and Medicaid, I think is the way it's actually styled. This is what they say. They define what's called actuarial soundness. Essentially just means your Medicaid program has got to have enough money coming in to to operate the program. It says means that, quote, the capitation rates are projected to provide for all reasonable, appropriate, and attainable costs that are required under the terms of the contract for the operation of the managed care plan for the time period and the population covered under the terms of the contract. That's a very formal legal way of saying it is. <laughs> you got to make sure you got enough money here to, to pay the people to take care of the sick people. That's right. That's kind of what Be- I interpret. Because the theory of capitated care is you go to the – it's risk shifting, right? You go to the MCOs, the managed care organizations, and say, we'll give you X amount uh, for this class of, uh, of Medicaid beneficiary, and then it's on them to hopefully do things in advance that keep them healthy, to keep right. their costs down, and if they're able to do it and make a profit on that capitated rate, then good for them, and if they're not, that's their problem, but you ha- it has to be actuarially sound. You can't say we're going to give you a dollar a patient um, because they wouldn't be able to realistically do that, and so it, it does, it's, it's interesting where it seems like this plan is going. My understanding is that this has been uh, achieved in other states. These these waivers, as they call them, where uh, a state that's operating a Medicaid program, because your Medicaid program, as you know, has to be approved by the federal government since they pick up the lion's share of it. So right. you've, the states have a fair amount of latitude in, in operating the program within their state within certain constraints the federal government prescribes. But in this case, we have a plan that's in place. You can't just willy-nilly change a lot of stuff without going to the federal government, since it's a joint program. So this is what we're doing, is saying, look, we need to change our program. And apparently, I believe what our request is, is, uh, is based on, the premise, the theory is, we need more money to make this thing work in the state of Mississippi. And, uh, and this is short of adding the coverage group as would happen if we, quote, expanded Medicaid. So, well, and the governor has, has never shied away from the fact that we do have a hospital problem in Mississippi. We yeah. have a health care problem uh, in Mississippi that, that rural hospitals in particular uh, are struggling. Um, and, it, you know, I think it it makes sense that he would be trying to develop a policy solution that helps address that. And this very clearly does in a way that's consistent. Um, I say it very clearly does. It seems to very clearly uh, address uh, some of the funding issues for rural hospitals uh, and does it in a way that's uh, thoughtful and consistent with uh, with with his views on yeah. uh, health care in Mississippi. Yeah. So and, that, and it's so good of you to say that uh, and accurate, I should say, to say that, is that nobody's ever said we don't have a problem. Right. But Brandon Presley said Tate Reeves is just ignoring it. No, but let's be honest, Lucian, that the government is limited on what they can do here, especially the state government. You're limited. I mean, these hospitals 
I agree, they're struggling economically, but there's not a lot at the state's disposal. It's a it's a financial thing. It's a money thing. Well, and it's it's a convenient narrative. Going back to you know, if, if election if the election is about policy, it goes well for Governor Reeves. As if if it's about narrative, it's much more difficult for the Republicans. It, it, the narrative has been that the reason hospitals are struggling is because we failed to expand Medicaid in Mississippi, and I, I don't doubt there would be hospitals that would benefit from expanding the Medicaid eligible population but it's not as simple as the narrative being pushed by the democrats that if only we'd expanded medicaid mississippi would be booming our health care sector would have no problems the hospital uh that was you that's been pointed to a lot in east central mississippi that shut down you know the the story has been it shut down because we didn't expand medicaid my understanding is we shut down because the federal government took away a critical access designation from them and as a result they couldn't make ends meet so the health care puzzle is much more as you know Gerard, it is much more nuanced than the the big bad Republicans just won't expand Medicaid, so everybody is going to get laid off at hospitals. It, no it is a complicated uh, picture that has a lot of economic consequences, and there's not there's not a simple answer. But I'm glad the governor and his team have uh, worked with hospitals to come up with a with a plan that addresses that problem. Yeah, and we should point out that even though this is a a joint funded program jointly as in the, the federal government and the state in Mississippi because of our, our economic status, our, our median household income and per capita income or the metrics that that uh, Medicaid, that CMS uses to determine the amount the federal government pays for the program, we do have the highest federal match. It's right. about 74, 75 percent. The state covers the other 25 percent. But in this program, that uh, the governor announced Thursday, we should point out that the state will bear no additional cost, that the state's share of this additional funding will be covered by the hospitals, who right. are actually going to pay the hospital fees, so-called taxes, to cover the sh- state's share. So the state's not out of pocket any additional taxpayer money to receive this this new uh, funds into the health care environment. And that's that. who pays the state share is tricky, because that that is what caused a lot of the problems here. I mean, you, whatever your ideological views are on expanding the welfare state by expanding Medicaid eligibility, just dollars and cents, and these numbers are dated. I, I led Governor Bryant's efforts not to expand back in 2013, so I'm working off of that. But one of the big arguments for expanding Medicaid at the time was that we would get a billion dollars in federal money. The problem was we had to come up with a $100 million right. in state money to fund it because it's, as you said, the federal government pays the overwhelming share of it, but you still have to come up with a decent piece of it. Well, $100 million in what was at the time a little over $5 billion was real money. That was twice the total budget of the Mississippi Highway Patrol. So to come up with that money, it's got to come from somewhere. It's got to be higher taxes uh, on on uh, on Mississippians, or it's got to come in cutting services because you have to come up with uh, the dime to pull down the dollar, uh, and people can have a different view on it. So that is certainly a benefit of what Governor Reeves and his team have come up with here. This doesn't have a budgetary impact uh, on the state. This isn't going to prevent us from uh, continuing to to pay our law enforcement uh, and our teachers and other uh, others what they need and to invest in critical infrastructure in the state. I submit that if this did require 
additional state funding to receive this additional federal funding, the governor would not agree to it. I think that's right. I, I don't think he'd agree to it. So I think the deal he cut with the hospitals was, okay, if you can cover the state's portion, I'll get behind this, and, and we'll direct the Division of Medicaid, Drew Snyder, to take this forward. And I think that's what's happening here. we got a break right here. we got Lucian Smith in the Element Well studio, former chairman of the Mississippi Republican Party. Stay with us. We're going to get into some federal politics when we return. Super Talk Mississippi. Jones, Lou Graham, a foreigner, bumping us into this segment. We got Lucian Smith, former chairman of the Mississippi Republican Party. Let's. Uh, we, so we've been talking about state matters and the governor's big announcement last week to um, present a proposal to the federal government to increase reimbursement rates uh, in the two major categories of uh, the Medicaid program. I suspect we'll get that through, honestly. I do think that's likely to happen. I know it's happened in some other states, that in discussions with friends of mine in that industry. But I agree. We got uh, we got some interesting times here at the federal level, at the national level, for sure. We've got uh, the second presidential debate uh, on this Wednesday. Looks like seven, according to my count, have qualified. And it's going to be held in uh, California at the Reagan Library. I find that a, a bit ironic in such a deep blue state that we're having a Republican <laughs> debate. Uh, but that that sh- certainly should be interesting. But but something that caught my attention, want to get your thoughts on, uh, you've seen, no doubt, uh, Lucian, this, uh, this bombshell, I guess you could call it, on Senator Bob Menendez from New Jersey. I mean, it... I mean, the evidence is, seems to be pretty damning to me because it's physical evidence, gold right. bars, cash, things like that. It's not like a he said, she said on the stand sort of deal. I'm not a lawyer, but it seems like, hey, we found these gold bars in his house. That probably has a little more credibility. I, I know there are some people who, who keep physical gold as an inflation hedge, <laughs> but I just feel like as a general rule, if you've got gold bars in your house, 
You're probably a crook. <laughs> Cash in your coat pocket. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It, it, it is sort of, and I know this isn't universally true, but it feels like it to me. If the Democrats are saying the Republicans are doing something, it, it, it so often it's because they're gaslighting you to try to get you to That's not exactly. realize they're doing it. I mean, Menendez was one of these guys who talks about Republican corruption while literally taking gold, allegedly taking gold bars. <laughs> From business people who are representing the Egyptian government, and he's passing on information to them. Yeah. I mean, um, it's like Sheldon uh, Whitehouse complaining about yeah. dark money, there were all this Republican <laughs> dark money. But he is the massive beneficiary of Democratic dark money. And so it's, you know, over here it's, you know, evil and corrupt. But, you know, over on the Democratic side, these are just charitable organizations <laughs> trying to help people. Don't look over here. Don't ignore the man behind the curtain. So I think that's what you sort of saw with Menendez there. You know, so I was talking earlier. We got we got that situation. You're absolutely right with the with the gaslighting, and it, and it seems like those who who, who uh, raise the biggest stink about such activities are probably the ones likely to be engaged in the same sort right. of activity themselves. We got AOC that's clearly uh, behind uh, the United Auto Workers Union, the workers there against the employers, the companies, yet she's driving a non-union manufactured Tesla. <laughs> I don't of know course. if you saw that. And she, and she was interviewed about it yesterday on CBS, Face the Nation, whatever it is, and, and she gave some crazy lame excuse that had, to, that had to do with vaccines in 2020 and driving between New York and Washington. Made no sense to me. Um, we got Lauren Boebert, I mean, on the Republican side, that uh, really acts inappropriately, I would say, in a, in a theater. I don't know if you've seen the reports about Christy Nome. I, I did see. I, I, yes. Governor of South Dakota, we got Christy Nome and um, uh, Corey uh, Lewandowski, right? right, worked for Trump, and, and both of them are married with children and have been a uh, apparently involved in a, an a affair for some time and got kind of handsy in public here a couple of weeks ago. Oh, I didn't realize that's how Oh, they yeah, there's video awful. going out. And so, um, you know, I read this article. This is what I want to ask you. I read this article, opinion piece, Adam Coleman, author of Black Victim to Black Victor, founder of Wrong Speak Publishing. Hmm. Title of the article, I Don't Care If Politicians Are Good People, and neither should you. And he kind of starts out by saying, would you care if your electrician were a neglectful parent? Would it matter to you if your favorite mechanic had a mistress? Have we gotten to a point, Lucian, where character doesn't matter anymore? I think about the U.S. Senate and this dress code, for example, where doesn't that – are we wrong to expect more out of our elected leaders? I don't think so. I mean, I think character ought to matter, um, and I think hypocrisy ought to especially matter. And I think you know that that's why I think people are so fed up with Washington is you're sick of people and, and Bobert's a perfect example. Um, you know, somebody who talks about how we need to protect our children from filth. Well, I mean, I, I agree. We do need to protect our children from filth. I would include in that. I mean, I've, I've seen the video as a lot yeah. of people have. If, if, uh, if two grownups were behaving that way around my children, um, there, there'd be a, a news story as well. Yeah, I mean, it's sure. just, they, they were engaged in totally inappropriate behavior in a public place at a child friendly event. Um, 
And I, I think people are sick of it. I do think it's the reason, it's one of the reasons Donald Trump, uh, people like Donald Trump so much is they felt like he wasn't a typical politician because I think we have gotten to the point where people assume uh, that that they assume the worst of every politician because so many of them have disappointed them. And, and we've given them reason to. I think I think people in politics have given them reason to be that cynical. But no, I hope character still matters. I, I think it's important. Um, and I think it speaks to sort of an erosion in American values that people would think, you know, maybe character doesn't matter and the answer to, to that guy's question yeah i mean I, I care if my mechanic has a has a mistress i care if my electrician's a neglectful parent i'm probably not going to lead with that question but if if i were to find that out i'd be inclined more often than not to uh to move to somebody else if i felt like they were continuing to behave in a way uh in a way that was contrary to to what i felt like was was good behavior you know my thoughts on it, I, I agree with you. My thoughts on it, just, and this is just from my, my extensive business experience, is that if you've got that sort of, of problem in your your personal life, outside of your professional life, I agree. There's a lot of people who could can function uh, effectively and successfully professionally. But this is what I'll say, even though they may have problems in their personal life. This is what I'd say, though. You're more likely to encounter a situation where the chips are down and you really, really need uh, the best uh, to perform. And there's something about, if you've got that problem, in my view, in your personal life, that's going to come into play mm-hmm. and, and maybe, um, maybe kind of diminish your ability to, to really perform when it's needed the most. And that, that's a valid point. I have run into that in my professional career. Something to be said for that. Yeah, uh, I agree with you. I agree with you. And I, I think we need, as a country, we need people to, to stand up. Uh, for moral values, stand up for character, and not do it because it's it's good electoral politics. Do it because we just we need that in our country. I mean, I, I think our country was better when we held people to a higher standard than we do now. And I, I think you, know, you can decide who shot first and where it started. But um, you know, in a lot of ways, the personal issues. I, Donald Trump could not have been elected but for Bill Clinton's personal issues. No he doubt. sort of desensitized the country. Uh, to things in a way that it made it possible in 2016 for people to sort of push those aside and say that doesn't matter. Um, obviously, there's a lot more going on there, but I, I do think we need um, we need leaders in this country who who are people truly of character, not not just a sort of poll tested. This is what we think character looks like, but people who have strong convictions and uh, aren't afraid to discuss them and, and live them. Not to say people don't uh, make mistakes. I mean, we've all uh, sinned and fallen short of the glory sure, of God, but sure. uh, but uh, you know, people need to be. Serious about their beliefs and not afraid to share them. I, I would just again point out that if they have a, a, a history of that or something like that going on in their outside life, there's just a good chance that's going to enter into at some point. That's it's going right. to factor into their ability to perform professionally, and that includes as a as an elected leader. You know, gone are the days, I guess, when children, actually young people, looked up to elected leaders and aspired to be them and held them up as their as their role models. It doesn't seem like we have that anymore. I don't know who the role models are now. I well, mean, I, I agree. I think that's that's a cultural problem that we have as a country is because it's almost like that's not held up as a value anymore. The the role models now tend to be the folks on TikTok or, or Bravo Television or what, whoever the sort of influencers mm-hmm. are. Mm-hmm. Well, we need people that young people can emulate and right. model their life after, people that truly are good, honorable, decent people. Um, 
before you go, I got to ask you this question that I've asked everybody. We got this problem with PERS here in the state of Mississippi, like the health care situation. It ain't going away, and there's no silver bullet. There's no magic formula to, to fix it. Do you think we're going to get the legislature to, to really take a hard look and come up with something here? I, I, I think we have to at some point. Whether it happens this next legislative session, I don't know. Um, but it, it is a it's a real problem, and and I think that they're um, I think they'll continue to take a hard look at. It. They did it eleven years ago, looked at it, um, but That's right. you didn't see the sort of meaningful change that has to happen. But um, but no, we owe our retirees the contract that we have with them, the promise that we made. But uh, we have to come up with something sustainable, and I don't think we have it right now. Yeah, seems like it. Well, and we got a new term started, and usually that that generates a lot of buzz about thorny topics like that. <laughs> Lucian Smith, former chairman of the Mississippi Republican Party, has been our guest. Good to see you. Thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks, Gerard. Great seeing you. Final segment coming up next. Stay with us. With Gerard Gibbert. Keep rolling. Three, two, one. On Super Talk, Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Midday, Super Talk, Mississippi, CC and Senatobia on the ceasefire tax line. So I boo booed and said I <laughs> I traded my 1920 Escalade, my 2020. He sent me a picture. That looks like a pre model T there. <laughs> That's pretty cool. 1920. Uh, what was that stuff Brandon Presley was talking about the other day involving a lemon tree in the governor's mansion? I think he was talking about some um, investment in remodeling and and uh, renovation at the governor's mansion, including the garden. I, I just think that's just making a mountain out of a molehill there. I don't know what the big deal is about that. Um, it, it's hard to take a guy serious about that when he's flying in a private jet. Now, again, I don't care about him flying in a private jet. It doesn't bother me. It bothers me when you do that, and then you blast other people for spending money on state assets like this. That I, I don't want the mansion to just deteriorate. It needs to be taken care of. I, I think the other thing to keep in mind is there are lots of um, dignitaries and prospective uh, business executives that are looking at investing in our state. You want to put your best foot forward. It means a lot. And if that Mansion and the grounds were in tatters, that would not bode very well for our chances of landing um, some of these economic uh, development projects that we're pursuing, which is critical for our state. So I think that's just too much craziness there. Let's see here. Please don't forget the ambulance services on the ceasefire tax line. Be specific. What, What do you mean by that? Uh, Thomas, I know you sent us a book uh, to date, uh, and I know that um, you are 
constantly blast the Republicans for advocating increased welfare. Again, I, I point out to you, man, when are you going to demand that Mississippi exit the Medicaid program? Mississippi should exit the Medicaid program. We'd save a billion dollars a year, and we would uh, tell the federal government to keep their $6 billion a year. The Medicaid program in the state of Mississippi is larger than the combined federal and state portion, slightly larger than the total general fund budget. Wow. So the government, at all levels, honestly, the federal level and the state level, for the most part, if you look at the way we spend our money in Washington, we're in the health care and pension business. That's really what the government is. If you look at mandatory spending at the federal level, that's 70% of total spending. That's Medicare, Social Security, and Medicaid. Dead interest is the other big part of that. Mandatory spending. We're essentially in the health care and pension business. We are at the state as well. When you think about the amount of public dollars, federal and state, that fund just the Medicaid program. That doesn't even count the federal funding of Medicare and TRICARE, the other two programs. We pay the highest grocery tax in Mississippi. Every social welfare program they can think of, and these politicians give a football player over a million dollars for nothing. Why should a penny of that TANF money be discretionary? (laughs) Well, the problem with the TANF program, in my view, is if you look at acceptable, qualified uses of it, it's it's poorly defined, honestly. And I'm, I'm not saying that any TANF money that went to volleyball stadiums and football players and um, educational outfits that really didn't stay there but rather went for personal use, no, it doesn't allow that. But it, it um, the rules are, I think, lack and need to be tightened up substantially. And it's a slush fund is what it is. And the states have a lot of discretion on how to spend that money, how to allocate that money, and it's not... Not like Medicaid, where Medicaid doesn't pay people, it pays health care providers. Medicaid doesn't send checks to those enrolled in the program. It just simply reimburses providers for providing uh, services. You you honestly could consider the doctors and the nurses and the hospitals, that if you call it welfare, you'd say, well, they're the welfare recipients, because they're the ones who get the money. The patients don't ever get the money. The people providing the services do. On the other hand, they take care of a lot of people. They get paid nothing for it. And that's a problem as well. Um, so this is why I think a lot of smart people got to get around the table and, and figure out how to address this problem, which is a national problem. It's not just a problem here in the state of Mississippi. It's a national problem as well. Let's see. Here's a couple other things. The awake people know that whatever the Dems accuse the Republicans of, they are quick quirky of themselves. I think it's supposed to be guilty of themselves. I agree. It's becoming conical. comical. Yeah, it's, it's gaslighting. No doubt about it. Can you get Thomas to come into the studio and interview <laughs> this day from the Reds? I don't think that's going to happen. We're out of time here today. Ricky Matthews with Super Talk Outdoors is up next. Back in the studio with you tomorrow. I'll be with the governor and Riley Gaines at breakfast. Look forward to seeing you then, however. Stay safe and God bless everyone.
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.